Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I want to tell you a little bit more about David and Vanessa. I think it's important that you know these things. Um, when David showed up, we were meeting over at this uh, Grandview Elementary School. It's just up this road a little bit. You can see it when you leave this morning. And uh, people there tended to sit more up front. Um, you're getting lazy in your habits. You're all moving to the back. And especially new people. New people would sit up front. And I remember David, every single Sunday, he was, I would say, right here. And he was uh, an ox of a man. He makes Dave Carell look small. He was just this huge man. And he had at the front these pieces of hair that were bleach blonde sticking up, you know, like this. And I remember as he was preached to, he had this like look like this, like. And it never varied. It just didn't change. And what it was, was it was a man who had been changed by the Holy Spirit and was hungry for the Word of God. And he really didn't vary his expression. It just, it didn't change. He was just feeding. Well, what you, there's sometimes there are back stories that are even more interesting than the front stories. And when David first showed up, uh, my wife, as you heard, got to know uh, Vanessa, and my wife decided that she was going to get rid of David Abbasara, <laughs> because as she saw it, David was the enemy of Vanessa's life and soul. And so I remember, uh, I think you came over for lunch on a Sunday, but anyhow, my wife gave me my marching orders, and this is something you need to understand about this church. <laughs> the rooster rules the roost, the hen rules the rooster. All right, And so I was sent out of the house with this hawk of a man and told that I was to get rid of him and that he was not to come back because Mary Lee was determined to protect Vanessa. And so we took, I'd say, what, about an hour and a half walk? And basically I, I fulfilled my function, which was to tell David to get lost, Right? Was it a positive walk? Well, yeah, what I told him was, you know, we love you and all this stuff, and now get lost, and don't come back. Now, here's the reason I'm telling you this. David obeyed. David obeyed. Obey those who are in authority over you, for they keep watch over your souls who, as men who must give an account. And you're going to sit there, and because you're an American, you're going to think, oh yeah, pretty soon they're going to tell me that I have to play left-handed softball. Or pretty soon they're going to tell me who I should and shouldn't marry. Or pretty soon they're going to tell me that I shouldn't eat gluten or that I should eat gluten, or that I should shave my head, or that I should have babies, or that I should submit to my husband. And I say, uh, yeah, a couple of them, but no, the rest of them, and you can figure out which ones. But typically, it's the ones that Scripture is clear in giving commands about, you know? In other words, we are not looking to make more decisions than we already make. We're not looking to have more responsibility than we already have. We don't get our kicks out of living vicariously through you. Okay? We have plenty of authority ourselves, or our wives do. <laughs> Listen, Mary Lee's the perfect wife. Well, no, actually. Vanessa, well, no, not actually. Seabreds. You've been mentioned twice this morning. It's just awful. 
But I want you all to realize that there was nothing in David's life to make him submit to the elders, to my wife, to me, to anything. David was a man who had perfect self-determination. He did not need anything. He was doing very well in his job. He was a specimen. I hope you all picked that up this morning, and you know what specimen means. A specimen of virility and manhood, and David submitted. And so if you have somebody come to you and say, leave and don't come back, and don't be in contact with the woman you love, and it's an officer of the church, and he explains why he's saying it to you, submit. Submit. Now, here's the rest of the story. <laughs> so what was it, six months later? No, 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 that you asked if you could come down. Yeah. It was two months, and you broke up when? And when, you, when he came back, he was told that he couldn't have any contact with her. And he didn't. He went up, he, he, he went to church, he continued to work, he didn't disobey. And then when he came back, he didn't have contact with her. And then after, I want to say it was six months? Okay, before he spoke to her, he lived here five months. Now, that's a long time when you love the woman, right? And then he asked permission. Now, I know you're all thinking, oh, so that's how you do courtship here. And I say, first of all, we don't do courtship here. We don't know what it is, and there's no pattern, and we don't follow a plan, and there's no spreadsheet. Okay? Okay? Everybody got that in your brains. But in this particular case, they needed to back up. Y'all hear me? And so David submitted and backed up. And in time, if we love the Lord, he gives us the desire of our hearts. <laughs> but there was no pressure from David, not the slightest bit of pressure. He submitted, and then God gave him the desire of his heart. Now, one other thing. I know you're sitting there, and you're looking at her, and she says, so I had to go in and tell her that I was quitting, and you know, that was hard, but you know, now I have babies, and, you, and, and she's such a sweetheart. You're looking at her, and you're thinking, oh, that poor woman. You know, she, she must be oppressed. She must be weak. She must be the kind of woman who's just looking for a man to fill her life. Don't let Vanessa fool you. Trust me. Okay? <laughs> Trust me. So I'm, I'm doing the rehearsal, the wedding rehearsal. <laughs> you hear David laughing. And I don't remember what it was, but it was a fairly minor issue. And by this time, I think I've done hundreds of wedding rehearsals. And so we're in the middle of the wedding rehearsal, and Vanessa is running around directing everything in the rehearsal. I mean, and down to the smallest detail, and there is no dynamic variability in the intensity of her directing any of the details. You know, like if it's a shoelace that's untied, that's as intense as whether, you know, her father or whoever walks her up the aisle, you know. And I'm weary of her. I'm sorry, Vanessa, but this is true. I'm just thinking, this woman is on steroids, <laughs> you know. And after a good bit of time, I finally, we're out there, out the door, waiting to come in, because you do that several times in the, in the rehearsal. And I say, David, I mean, Vanessa. And you know what David said to me? He just gives me the biggest grin in, in the world. And he says, welcome to my world. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> so please don't patronize Vanessa. Don't patronize her. If you think she's weak, and that's why she gave up playing the viola and having an academy and instead having children, get to know Vanessa. You know, get to know Vanessa. Vanessa's extremely strong. <laughs> and so's my wife, and so's every single woman of this church. All right. 
So did I deal with the demons in your brain? Don't ever think that submission to a husband means weakness. Weakness is rebellion, always. Rebellion against elders, rebellion against God, rebellion against the commandments, rebellion against your husband, rebellion against your parents, rebellion. All right, so that's the first thing I wanted to say to you. I wanted to honor David and Vanessa and say that they were humble and they received the ministry. And now, here's the sweet thing. If you can imagine me having to do that to David, right? So when my son needs to be disciplined for his pride and his disobedience, guess what? He moves up to Indy, and guess who his pastor is? David Abasara. And David disciplined my son. Taylor is his name. Ask Taylor. And so the Lord is so, are you ready for this? So cosmic. You know, he is so big and so authoritative and so omniscient and so omnipresent and so omnipotent that he can take that dude out of the trees in Chicago, bring him here, set him here for a while, then send him away, then bring him back, have him be submissive, then send him to the pastor's college, then marry him to this sweet little thing from Biola College in L.A., (laughs) you know, who is taking communion and has never been baptized. You figure that one out. All right? And they get married, and then they discipline your son. Brings tears to my eyes. All right. Now, I have one other thing to do before I preach. I want to tell you that this last weekend I was up in Wisconsin, or not Wisconsin, that's, that's a Freudian slip. I was up in northern Michigan, and it was just like Wisconsin. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's fall. The apples were being picked. Um, oh, it was beautiful. And uh, I was with a church um, up in uh, two and a half hours north of Sawyer, which I know where that is because I go up there a lot, three hours north of uh, Michigan City. And uh, I was with a church that I want you to know is just like us, very sweet to preach to, very humble, very meek, um, happy families, happy marriages. You could see it in the faces. Um, And uh, they met in a little town hall, in a tiny little town, and the town hall had a, like, uh, ceiling that had been put in, and you knew the ceiling had been put in because the floor was just beat to a pulp wood, but still visible on the floor were basketball uh, stripes, and the roof was only about 10 feet tall, so up above that must have been another 10 or 15 feet, you know, and it wasn't nearly big enough for a basketball court, and that's where they meet, and uh, It was wonderful being with them. And then I was with a presbytery of their denomination, the the Communion of uh, Reformed and Evangelical Churches, and uh, just had wonderful fellowship. I found myself the whole weekend wishing that all of you could be with them because it would have strengthened you so much um, to meet the pastors, the wives, the children, And, of course, the children have the same problem that I had when I was a child and you have. Um, But I bring you greetings from them, and uh, I hope that there will be occasion for us to get together with these people who uh, I think you would find are your long-lost brothers and sisters. Their worship is very different from ours. It's very busy, and it kind of gave me a headache. I was like, up, down, it made me wish for Roman Catholic worship, for the simplicity of Roman Catholic worship, which is a joke. <laughs> but, you know, it takes all types, and David Abbasari was a different type when he showed up, you know? All right. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one other thing about them. So the pastor and the elder, the elder is a former prosecutor and attorney, 
And um, guess what he does now? They're all there because they love the church. And so he was, his specialty was bankruptcy law. So guess what he does now? He raises free-range chickens. And you know what's really funny? He doesn't give a rip about free-range chickens. But it's where the money is. And another family in the church ranges organic truck farm crud. And they don't give a rip about organic. But they know you people in Bloomington will pay three times the price for it. And so they were just going on and on about what good money there is in organic food, you know. So in other words, they all come together and do whatever they have to do to live together in, in, in unity as a church. And that's the way it used to happen. People from all over Europe would come to Geneva because of the ministry of the word and the commitments. And so they'd make whatever financial sacrifices were necessary <laughs> because they thought maybe their soul should take precedence over their money. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Now I'd like you to please stand as we read our text. It didn't break. I'm going to read Judges 7, 1 to 25. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Well, let me set this up so that you understand what's going on. In the previous chapter, the Lord has appeared to Gideon, and the Lord has said to him that he wants him to be a warrior and to bust his people loose from the oppression of the Canaanites. The principal Canaanites oppressing them are the Amalekites and the Midianites. And so Gideon's scared out of his wits, and he says, well, you know, how do I know this is really you telling me to do this? And he says, I want to I, I test. And this is where we get the expression Gideon's fleece, all right, where fleece is just lamb's wool. He says, I tell you what, I'm going to put out a fleece tonight. I'm going to put out a little lamb's wool. And in the morning, what I would like is I'd like that fleece to be wet and all the grass to be dry. So there's no dew except right on the fleece. So he gets up in the morning, there's no dew except right on the fleece. Well, that doesn't satisfy him because what God's asking him to do is pretty intimidating. So he says, Look, another time, eh? And so he says, tonight, God, would you please make the fleece dry and all the ground wet? And so the next morning he gets up, sure enough, all the ground's wet, the fleece is dry. So then God says to him, you know, okay, now I've proven myself to you. Now what I want you to do is go down to the church at the center. Of the, you know how all the New England towns have churches at the center of town. God says, I want you to go down to the church at the center of town, and I want you to rip it to shreds. I want you to tear it down, use your ox, and just pull it apart. Now, of course, you know, it wasn't churches as we think of them. Then it was big uh, idols to Baal, who was the principal god of the Canaanites, and next to him, his, 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 his consort. Uh, actually, not his consort, but a, a wife of the gods, and her, her name was Ashtorah. All right. So was, there was an Ashtoreth, which is a, a, an idol to a, to a goddess demon, a demon goddess, and then another idol that was to a demon god. And God said, go down to that cult of idolatry at the center of your town and rip it to shreds. So Gideon did it. That's the reason now you see the Midianites, hordes of them in the valley, camped, ready to go to war. That's the backdrop. All right, now I'll keep going. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for... Oh, I didn't tell you one other thing, which is Gideon then sent out an alarm to about four or five tribes of uh, the Israelites and said to them, come help me, we have a battle to fight. And so people from all over the Israelite land came to help him. And 
This is what God is speaking of when the Lord said to Gideon, verse 2, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, for Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Now, therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. He shall go with you. But everyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you. He shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, you shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. In other words, divide according to that difference. Now, the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and will give the Midianites into your hands. So let all the other people go, each man to his house. Y'all feeling the tension? We're now down to what? 300, right? Okay. So the 300 men took the people's provisions and their trumpets into their hands, and Gideon sent all the other men of Israel, each to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below in the valley, and you get the point of that. There they all are. All right, they're still down there. We're down to 300. Now, the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go with Pur, your servant, down to the camp. This is the camp of the Midianites. And you will hear what they say, and afterward your hands will be strengthened that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pur, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as numerous as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian. And it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His friend replied, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets and empty pitchers into the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. He said to them, Look at me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you shall also, you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. And so Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, somebody should be laughing. Come on, guys. This is a little bit like a heavyweight wrestling a welterweight, right? wrestling 115 or whatever it is. Okay, so Gideon went to the, and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. (laughs) When the three companies blew the trumpets, so now we're up to 300, all right, When the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then notice the next verse, each stood in his place. (laughs) They stood there. Each stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army, and the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerorah, and as far as the edge of Albal Mahola by Tabith. 
The men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali and Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against Midian and take the waters before them as far as Beth Bar and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they took the waters as far as Beth Bar and the Jordan. They captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, while they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Orb and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It has to be one of the favorite stories of all scripture for young men. It's just glorious. God keeps whittling down and down and down and down the power of man until there's nothing left but the power of God. It just goes down and down. It's like first you lose how many? Did you notice? First you lose 22,000. Now, how many Midianites were down in the valley? Well, if you go on to chapter 8, you'll find that there were 135 Midianites. Excuse me, 135,000. So when they started, they were too many. And when they started, it was about a quarter of the Midianites. Now, what battle are you going to go into... Let's say a basketball game, you're going to go in with one and a half people and the other guy has five. You know, you're down one man in an ice hockey game, you know, in the penalty box. You know, soccer match, right? (laughs) Red carded. And it was far worse than that. It was down to a quarter and then God said that's too many. And so God whittled it down to how many? 10,000. Now, it's very interesting how they got whittled down. How did they get whittled down? They got whittled down by all the faithless, fearful ones being peeled off. Now, why did God peel off the faithless and fearful ones? Well, let me read to you from um, the book of Deuteronomy, because God set up a law about this, and it's found in Deuteronomy 20, verses 1 to 9. This is what Moses told the Israelites. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. Are all the other churches more numerous than us? Huh? I had a guy call me yesterday who used to be in this church. Uh, Do any of you remember Fred Tawadras from Philly? Any of you? Nobody does. Well, I remember Fred. And uh, yesterday I was talking to him, and the subtext of a lot of our conversation was that 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 if I would do things differently, then I would have a lot of people and be famous too. And I've heard that all my life, growing up in Wheaton and knowing famous people, and it's, you know, they're always saying, what's wrong with you? And... There are many things wrong with me. But listen, one of them is not the number of people here. Okay? You all understand that, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul was pretty disgusting. He was the chief of sinners. The Apostle Paul, there's this thing by Kierkegaard I love where he says, the Apostle Paul was, was not married. The Apostle Paul was not a very serious man, was he? The Apostle Paul, you know, had people make fun of him. The Apostle Paul was not a very serious man, was he? You know, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the... the apostle, and you just can go on and on with the Apostle Paul and give all the reasons why the Apostle Paul just is not to be reckoned. I mean, he's nothing. And then when he defends himself against all those charges that the super-apostles made against him in Corinthians... He says, I must be out of my mind to talk this way, but am I really nothing? And then he he ends Galatians. You remember how he ends Galatians? From now on, don't give me any. Don't give me any back talk. Don't give me any problem because I bear on my backs the marks of Jesus. You remember how that, the book of Galatians? The apostle Paul wasn't a very serious man. (laughs) He just had on his back the stripes of Jesus. He wasn't a very serious man. I think the Apostle Paul is one of the most serious men the world has ever known, (laughs) right? 
How could you not love the... All right, all right, I'll stop. That's a theme. All right. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and, and, and Willow Creek, eh, eh, and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord you God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. When you're approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And then down to verse 8. The officers shall speak to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house and this is, this is a command to Israel. And then the so that cause, because, why? So that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. Right? And this is so sweet. Many of you as fathers have had the job of disciplining one of your children and had your wife lead a rebellion against you. Men, had that happen? Only, only a few of you. Jeff's lying. Go on. Put your arm up. Andy, have you had this happen to you? No, your wife, you rebel against your wife, right? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, all of us are involved in fights where wars, battles, where the people standing next to us are fearful. And there are times to cut yourself off from them until the battle is over. You understand this. If you don't do this, what's going to happen is you're going to have their fear corrupt you and you'll give in. Does this make sense to you? And this is the principle that God gives. You can't accuse me of coming up with it. It's in Deuteronomy. It's a law for the people of God. And we see Gideon implementing it here in the text. God says, get rid of the ones that are afraid. Okay? Now, you know we're in the middle of a capital campaign. And you might think I'm stretching things to apply this to a capital campaign. But I'd say a capital campaign may not be bloodshed. But it is war in a church. And by that, I don't mean that we war against each other. By that, I mean that we war against the flesh and the devil because all of America is drowning in materialism and idolatry and greed, right? And so we find ourselves immediately up against the wall, and then I immediately hear what? I start hearing from the men I love that they're having fights with their wife over the capital campaign. Now, if I, it, it, it may be that the wife is, is, the, is the godly one and the husband is the sinful one or the husband's the godly one and the wife, but there's, there's, there's conflict in the camp, right? Now, now, come on. You've said it to me in private. I'm right, aren't I? Okay, okay, okay. And so what do you need to do? What we need to do is we need to not be afraid because if we're afraid, God says, leave them to the side and move on. And that's a principle for the capital campaign. We cannot allow those who are timid and fearful to corrupt the work. And you say, well, yeah, but are you making the case that God has led you as a congregation to build how do you know this is God's will? And I say, for about 2,000 years now, the way we know God's will is that the congregation and the elders pray, and then they make decisions, and we believe the Holy Spirit leads through the congregation and through the elders. Okay? And so to the degree that God has directed us as a church to to build, to the degree that God has given us children that require the building, to the degree that God has given us women who are willing to be mothers instead of professionals, it seems right to us. You remember what the Jerusalem Council said in Acts 15. 
when there was this huge conflict over circumcision. You remember that? They had the congregation, they had the apostles, they had everybody, and it was a melee. It was a down-home church squabble. And at the end of that squabble, do you remember what the Holy Spirit says about the decision that was made? This was one of my mother's favorite quotes in Scripture. The Holy Spirit said through the people, so this is, this is what the, the, the decision that was announced by the apostles, and the decision begins with the phrase what? It seemed good what? No, 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 Brian got it wrong. <laughs> okay, somebody else, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that wacko? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are you in there for? You know, who cares if it seemed good to you, if it seemed good to the Holy Spirit? Well, what is being associated there is the decision of the elders, the apostles, and the congregation. Bound together, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You see that? And so the first principle from this story is those who are fearful, we don't want your money. (laughs) We can't use your money. We can't. So don't give it. And don't be... Uh, 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 don't be, uh, uh, what would they call them, a counselor of despair. Don't be, just, just be quiet, please. Otherwise, we might have to put up a firewall. You know, just, just, just keep your mouth shut. Okay? Now, is, I think that's a good principle for us going into the capital campaign. Listen, I've been through what? I've been through several of these, and I will always tell you that always in a capital campaign, there are people who go home to their tent. There are people who decide they're not going to build. There are people who decide they're not going to protect their wife and children. They're not going to fight for their neighbor because they're scared, and they go home. I've watched this in other churches where I actually know the men involved, and I'm telling you... It's so sad. I know it's coming. I can see the train coming. I hear the horn blowing. I know where they're going to fall. Sure enough, they fall outside the, the army. And then afterwards, they can't recover. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you are a counselor of despair, you are left in the wilderness wandering for 40 years. It is not a small thing to not trust God. And you say, well, that's pretty heavy-handed. And I say, look, I believe that God's called us to do this. The elders have decided. The congregation has decided. It's been put to a vote. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And so, yeah, I am heavy-handed, but I'm only biblical. Don't lose your opportunity to do everything that God intends to do here, to join us and do it. Because if you don't, then you're going to be left with your money. And it doesn't matter if you're a widow and have a penny, or if you're rich and have much money, you'll be left with your money. Are you with me? You just don't want to do that. Okay? So the first principle is God is pleased to make a division between those who have faith and those who are fearful. All right? And God doesn't need the fearful. Now, the second principle from this is that God is pleased to make a distinction between those who kept their eyes up and, 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 and were looking and, and fully uh, on the alert as they drank and those who were leaned over, not looking, right? You've heard that preached that way, right? In other words, the important thing is that some of them had their heads up and others had their heads down, and God chose the ones that had the heads up. And I say bunk, That was just God's way of getting it down to 300 from 10,000. He needed to get rid of 9,700. And that was a good way of doing it. You know, I can remember as a little kid hearing it preached that way and thinking, well, which way would I have drunk? (laughs) You know? No, God intended to get rid of 9,700, so he got rid of (laughs) 9,700. 
And this is always the way that God does it. There's not a more unlikely candidate for the gospel of Jesus Christ than David Abessar. I hope you listen to his story. It's, it's a humdinger. And this church is filled with people whose stories are humdingers. You remember the band back in the 60s and 70s? You remember? What's the name? Any of you want to take a guess? Any of you remember the band, the Motley Crew? That's the Church of Jesus Christ. The Church of Jesus Christ is always the off-scouring of the world. Always. This is why the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, not many among you were wise in the world's eyes, not many rich, not many, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, Moses telling the Israelites why God chose him. He says, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you. And remember, why does the Lord love you? What does this hand signal mean? Just because. Little kid, just because. Anybody asks you why God loves you, what are you going to say? Well, he did as much as he could, and then I reached out to him. No, no. You were down in a pit of you-know-what, and he set his hand on you, and he lifted you up, and he set you on a rock. You ask anybody in Wheaton, who are the most unlikely people to be Christians? today, and they'd say, well, Tim and Mary Lee. You think of how you grew up and what you were told you were. You were a daughter of God. You think of the despising of your family for you. And they don't know. And so, listen. God has whittled us down. And there's no illusions and no delusions among us that we are uh, of note, (laughs) you know, that we are the ones that should be at center court at halftime of an IU basketball game. I mean, if if that's not a howler, I don't know what is. Well, why don't we bring Clear Note Church down to the assembly hall this game and and have us stand at the center? Boy, think of how it would dignify assembly hall. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Or the Colts or whatever. I don't know whatever your sport is, and you don't have any sports. How about Orpah Winfrey? (laughs) You know, or or that permanently angst-ridden, skinny little rat fink. That has a, what's his name? Yeah, has a has a television program at night. <laughs> yeah, Connor O'Brien. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's who. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> you think of a better description? <laughs> President Obama wants to invite us to a banquet at the White House. Do you mind that? Do you mind how God speaks of us, that we're the fewest, that not many of among us are rich, not many are influential, not many have doctorates? Are you proud of that? No. Nope, 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 nope. And so that's the other thing I want to say is that when God whittles it down, 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 down until it goes from 32,000 down to 10,000, then from 10,000 down to, to 300, then it's a dream and the interpretation of a dream. 
And that strengthens Gideon. And Gideon goes back and says, I've got an idea. <laughs> you know, let's get flashlights with an off switch. <laughs> and so they put their torches in bottles so nobody can see them until the last moment and then get trumpets. And so there's a hundred here. Now that would be about here. All right. And then there's a, and that would be about here. And then we're less than a hundred. Well, now there's 300 here. There's, there's probably 325 here. So it's like bam, bam, and bam. And that's it. And there's a host of 135,000 out there. And so they stand there with their, uh, what did I say with the jars? They've got the, the, uh, the torches in the jars, right? And they've got their trumpets. And the part I love, you heard me say it, is I love the part where it says that they broke the jars, lifted up the things, blew the trumpets, and stood You know, they weren't running around lighting the tents on fire. They were just standing. And as they stood, God set the Amalekites and the Midianites against each other, and they began to kill each other. And then did you notice, finally, God is willing to have all of Israel join in. And when is it? It's when it's clear that it's just chasing the people that are fleeing. And then he says, okay, ollie, ollie, and free. And that's, that's the end of the story. I mean, you know, there are a lot of points you can make about the story. But uh, in a sort of inverse way, you remember the banquet where I talked about how God says, test me in this. And the way we're testing God is by having babies. So today, to have lots of children is to narrow yourself down to 300. Do you understand Because as our numbers increase, the burdens increase. And it seems as if we're going to drown, right? And we go ahead and allow God to prune us and prune us and prune us and prune us. And we back ourselves into the corner until there's no hope for us. We're done for! We're done for! That's what everybody says to us. You fools. You could have been at the Met. And instead, here you are having babies to a doctor. What a waste. Well, no, it's good you married a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, but what kind of doctor is he? He's embarrassing. (laughs) This weekend, one of the things this church has in common with us and the whole denomination is that they all back themselves into a corner and have babies and get married. All right? And so you're all going to get a kick out of this. Um, And so it's the final meeting of the whole weekend. And what is it? It's a worship service of the presbytery, but all the church is going to be there. And I'm preaching. And it's 15 minutes away in the town of, uh, I forget the name of it. It's at a United Methodist Church. And... uh, And so I get over there early so I can go over the sermon before I preach, and I get my sermon out, and I'm sitting in the car right outside the door, and I realize I don't have the right sermon. And, you know, you have dreams about these things, you know. And so I called, and so I drive back to the hotel, and I have to go up to my room and get my computer. I always carry my, what, what? So I go up to my room and, ca- and get my computer, and then I open up. I can't find the sermon. I can't find it anywhere. I'm opening document after document after document after document. And then I run it down to the lobby, and the printer is sitting in the lobby, and there's a whole bunch of people in their 70s who have old collector cars, vintage cars. And they have them out in the motel parking lot, and, and they're all sitting around, right? And these are people whose lives are ending with cars. No grandchildren there, right? They're off with their cars. Now, I, I like old cars. I have an old pickup truck, but that's because my son taught me into buying it. And then I taught Doug into buying it. So, so anyhow, I'm sitting there, and I'm kneeling in the middle of them at this, at this printer. And I have my computer, and I'm, like, trying to find the plug and unplugging, and, and I'm 
so I'm in an abject posture in the middle of them, and they're sitting proper, and they're all around me, and there I am. And somebody tries to talk to me because they see my license from Indiana. I, say, I don't have time. Sorry, sorry. And then you know what happened? All the people had left 15 minutes earlier to go to church. And I listened to those people as they talked about the people of God. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. They used an obscenity. Women and men together used obscenity. What were they talking about? Well, you know. What was it? All the children. It was awful. And I wanted to stay there. And very firmly and gently ask them to look at their lives. But I couldn't. I had to get back. Listen, we backed ourselves into a corner. And you know what? It started when we got married to godly women. And they said they wanted children. And what's a man going to (laughs) say? You know, I remember Jürgen telling me about how his wife told him she wanted a child. And Jürgen says that he thought to himself, well, isn't this something? The woman, the, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life who I'm married to and who loves me wants to have it. Well, I think that's a good thing. (laughs) You know, that's the way a German approaches it. (laughs) And so we've married godly women. We've married them. We don't live with them. We've married them. And then they tell us they want children. And pretty soon, guess what? We're men. And then God has set a life course on us. And pretty soon we're grandchildren. We're grandfathers. And pretty soon, we have to do the obedience that we have set our minds and our hearts on decades before. And so listen, don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. This too will pass. The Lord always provides for those who are obedient to him. The Lord will provide for whatever space we need for the church. And if you are privileged, you will be part of that provision. Okay? And I mean to be, (laughs) obviously. Thank you, David and Vanessa, for coming down and exhorting us. And by God's grace, this day will soon come for your church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the witness of David and Vanessa. We thank you for the wonderful story of Gideon and the... Uh, motley crew of 300. We thank you, Father, that you have promised that when we are weak, you are strong. We thank you the Apostle Paul at the end of his ministry spoke of his weakness and said that he was the chief of sinners. We thank you for the adultery and murder committed by David, a man after your own heart. We thank you for the... uh, all the examples in Scripture of you being jealous for your own glory and not sharing it with any man. And so, Father, would you please help us to forget about ourselves and to love you and to trust you and to have faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.